Good morning, Journey. How is everybody? You're good. I love worshiping. I don't know about you, but I love worshiping. Maybe you're new to church and um, you're like, man, these people, like, they're raising their hand. Do they have a question or something? And this music's kind of like intense. What's happening? Is this a nightclub or is this church? And uh, no, it's just, you know, worship is whatever gets your heart's affection and your mind's attention. And so we're all worshipers. You're wired to worship. Whether you know God or not, you're wired to worship. And something gets your heart's affection and your mind's attention. And we've just discovered that God really is the only thing worthy or worth it to get our heart's affection and our mind's attention. And, uh, and the book of Psalms, which are a bunch of songs written, give five different Hebrew words of the way God likes to worship. So we don't come into worship based on what we like. We come based on the one we're worshiping, what he likes. And believe it or not, he likes hands raised. That's what one of the Hebrew words means. And he likes a shout. He's, he's worthy of it. I know your chiefs are worthy of it right now. I'm not a Commanders fan, just so you know, even though I'm from Virginia. They have a horrible name, horrible stadium, horrible owner, horrible team. I'm an honorary Chiefs fan right now. But our God's worthy of a shout. He's worthy of us kneeling before him. There's different ways that he likes to be worshiped. And the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And so I don't know who needs to be reminded of this today, but I just want you to know if you're on Jesus' team, you're on the winning team. And so I don't know, maybe you just clap your hands, all you people. Come on, lift up a shout of triumph. Come on, you're winning today. It's an honor to be with you. Hey, why don't you take a seat? We're gonna get into the word today. Man, I'm really, really honored to be here. Uh, my wife, Tammy, is with me. And uh, we have the honor of serving Life Point Church in Northern Virginia, Fredericksburg. So we're just south of Washington, D.C. So pray for us. It needs all the help it can get up there. And um, we have four children. I told the marriage conference, not because we like kids. I really like my wife and kids happen. So we have a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and then we took a break intentionally. And um, then we have a six-year-old. And at five days old, we adopted a little boy, and his name's Jonas. He's four years old. So um, the big kids drain our emotions. The little kids drain our energy. And um, so we're just happy to be here because we slept through the night last night, everybody. We're just <laughs> grateful to God. You know, we'll come back anytime. We slept all night. No little feet came in our room. Any parents in the house can you give me an amen on that one, right? Um, and it's an honor to be here. We love your pastor and his wife, and uh, what, a, what a gift that you have. Um, I remember I was telling the 8.30 service, I remember when Lee Summit was a dream in their heart and a conversation. And um, I remember I uh, had the honor of coming to the school. Anybody from the school days? Come on, look at you. Way to go. From the school days. OGs. OGs in the house. Um, and then for here for the building dedication and just to watch God move, you know, in the life of this church. It's really phenomenal. I just want to remind you that you're not a part of something normal that this is the work of God and uh, what he's doing here is unusual. So I just encourage you, as you come in every week, don't let it become normal um, because when something comes normal, it becomes common and common is what dishonor is the root of. And when you lose honor for the work of God, then the things you dishonor will eventually leave your life. And so don't just walk in every week with expectation in your heart leaning in. I expect God to do something. I haven't come to check some religious box. 
Uh, come expect to hear from God. Thankfully, you're in a Bible teaching church. Come on, just because there's church on the building doesn't mean it's preaching the Bible these days. And uh, you have a, a great, great leaders. Come on, can you put your hands together? Thank God for your leaders. We love you, honor you. Thank you for your yes. And uh, I'm ready to get into the word. We had a great time marriage conference. If you missed it, sign up for next year. Uh, incredible, incredible time together. And uh, so we're going to kind of stay in that same flow. I, I want to read from you, Matthew. We've been in, as a church, been in Matthew 19. And uh, I told the 830, I don't know if, um, if this is what Christian does to friends. I'd hate to see what he does to enemies. So I'm going to read you my text I'm working from and the assignment I have today, all right? Matthew 19, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because you were your hearts were hard. So I'm happy to be with you today to talk to you about your hard hearts, everybody. But it was not that way from the beginning. I want to talk to you about hard-heartedness, about what leads to hard-heartedness. If you're with me, say amen. I want to give you some things to take today. So if you're a note taker, write it down. If you're not a note taker, go ahead and write it down anyways. Um, it'll help you. And uh, if you'll talk to me, we'll have fun. And I think we'll learn a lot from God's word today. Um, so um, seven years ago, eight years ago, Tammy and I built our f- first home we built together. And um, so I, li- I loved it. I loved the whole process. I loved everything about it. I loved picking out stuff. Um, I loved the construction. I just love building things. Um, I-, I love building, seeing things created, build. It's just, I enjoy that. So I enjoyed the house process. Um, so we, the house is fairly new. And um, when we build it, the basement was agreed upon the kids space. So toys, um, you know, all that was going down there because we're a bit OCD. Everything should be in a place. Everything has a place. If you take it out of its place, put it back in its place. Because that's what godly people do. And, and so um, we were like, we'll just put it in the basement. They can mess, they can be messy. They can do the whole thing down there. And we just will look at it about once a month, we'll go organize it. And then we'll stay away from it again. Y'all tracking with me? So we even left the, I don't know what the construction grade paint, you know, like the white primer or whatever. We didn't even paint that part. We were like, it's theirs. We'll just forget about it. And um, so finally we, we thought, okay, the walls are nicked up enough. We need to have some nicks fixed and we need to paint it. And so we were out of town on a trip somewhere. And my mom was staying with our kids and uh, she was going to pull some of the toys and like bins that we had it off the wall. So the painter had a little easier time, you know, to get it painted. Y'all following me so far? And so she called me and said, Daniel, you've got a problem. And I was like, how could I have a problem? This house isn't even like eight years old yet. And, and she said, you've got mold in your baseboards. I was like, uh, okay. Um, so I called a buddy in the church who does mold mitigation and water damage and fire damage to houses. And, um, and so he came over, sent one of his guys and they, I don't, I'm not a handy guy. I'm sorry. They did the whole thing. And like, they had some meter or something that scanned. All I know is I got back from my trip and sheetrock was cut about knee high out of several of the walls. And what had happened is that at the corner of the house, when, when the rain was too heavy, it would overflow the gutters, come down that corner, and eventually it had seeped down and come between the foundation and the concrete wall. Are y'all tracking with me? And so then I had to call somebody else and they said, we don't do the foundation repair. You need to call someone and figure out how this water's getting in there. So I went to Google because that's where yeah. And so I went to Google and I found like a company that was, you know, rated, had good reviews. And so I called them and the guy shows up and I knew it was trouble from the moment he walked through the door because he handed me a slick brochure. I was like, that brochure costs money and that's getting passed on to me. 
And so he does the inspection and he's got charts and graphs and pictures and trying to educate me as a homeowner. And, and he gives me all these things. Then he's like, well, let's go do the estimate. Can we sit down at your table? He pulled out his own laptop and printer. I was like, this is not going in the right direction. I'm looking for somebody to be like, it'd be about $1,000, buddy, and shake my hand. And then, come on, anybody else? God's house? Okay. With, so he quotes me somewhere in the 10 with a lot of zeros behind it. And I was like, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You can leave my house now. And I was thinking, I've pastored in this community long enough. Surely I know somebody in this region of Virginia that does this. So I called another friend that does, is a contractor, and I called him and said, here's my issue. And he goes, yeah, I got a guy, small business owner, high integrity, and uh, he'll come out and look. So I was great. I text him. Here's some, hey, Chris gave me your name. Can you come look? He's like, absolutely, I can come at this time. So I opened the door, and he goes, Pastor Daniel? And I was like, yes, I am your pastor. <laughs> and you remember that when we get to the quote. <laughs> I didn't say that. I thought that in my head. So he came down. He's like, we'll just have to jackhammer up some of this. We'll put something, I don't know, something to make it thin. And all I know is no more water in my house, everybody. Thank God. And I started thinking about this as it relates to relationships, marriage, and especially as we talk about getting hard-hearted, is how water was seeping into my house for I don't know how long. And it was silent, and it really didn't become an issue until it turned into mold that if my kids had breathed it in long enough could really have damaged them. And I don't think in relationships that we just get hard-hearted overnight. It's not like we show up and just, I'm done with you. I'm done with this marriage. It's, it's a slow drip. It's, it's a little seeping under the foundation of the house that begins to wear away. It's a little hardening of the heart. It's, it's a little bit at a time. And depending on the threshold of the individual in the relationship, depends on, it could be a week of it, could be a month of it, could be a decade of it. And eventually, and then we say phrases like, well, we just drifted apart. But I don't really think we drifted apart. I think it was a silent killer. It was slowly over time. We say things like, we just don't have anything in common anymore. And I don't know that it, we just wake up with nothing in common anymore, but we slowly drift over time towards a hard heart. And so I want to talk to you in our few minutes together about what leads to hard heartedness. And you could have your own list. I'm just going to give you a few. Then I want to talk to you more importantly about how, how to mitigate. How do we mitigate the mold? And hopefully we catch it before we have to jackhammer the foundation and do all this painful work to get it fixed. If you're with me, say amen. All right, if you're a note taker, here we go. If you're not, here we go. Number one, number one thing that I think leads to hard heartedness or is a silent killer in our marriage and our relationships is unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. James speaks to it this way in chapter four, verse one through two. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So what's causing the tension in your relationships? He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Now, can we all just raise our right hand and promise that our fights won't lead to murder? <laughs> okay, some of you didn't raise your hand. So I'm concerned. James had a little rough church, everybody. But he says you covet or you want something, but you can't obtain it. So you fight and quarrel and you do not have because you do not ask. 
a lot of the tension that builds up in relationship and, and a lot of the slow burn or, or the slow fade to hard-heartedness, it's not the big red flags. I think we all are aware of those, that, that every one of us could go, okay, that's a problem. We need to address that problem. That's an issue in the relationship. We need to address that. And it's not those things that I think cause hard-heartedness and cause relationships to fracture and fall apart. It's not the big things. It's the little things. And I think unrealistic expectations are one of those things. And I'm not talking about expectations you should have. Like if you say, I do, you should be in this till death do us part. That's a realistic expectation. Are you following me? But a lot of us walk in with unrealistic expectations. And when our expectations, watch this, and our experience don't line up, in the gap is where we find frustration And James calls it fights and quarrels. You covet, you want something, but you don't have it. You expect something, but you don't experience it. And in the gap of those two, you create frustration. And some of you may never verbalize, but we all go into relationships with expectations. Maybe you're like, I don't have any expectations of him or her. No, we all do. Like you got all your hair did. You got your eyelashes put in. Come on, somebody. You got your extensions and weaves and you walked right down. You had the flowers. You're making sure your dad did everything you said. You walk and, but you didn't just walk down by yourself. You walked carrying a bucket of expectations. You didn't expect him to be on the Xbox till one in the morning playing with his buddies. You thought that would end after he said, I do. Y'all tracking? We okay? Like you, you thought he would provide in a certain way and, and that, that things would go down. And, and, and same thing for the guy. Like you walked out with your groomsmen and the pastor and you had some expectations about some things. <laughs> I don't know how many kids are in here. So y'all, y'all tracking, are we tracking? Like how you had some expectations about frequency and some guy just woke up. He's like, what did he say? Is he talking? <laughs> Amen, preacher. What was he saying? <laughs> Like you, you, you didn't think it would be flannel every night that went from here all the way down to here. You're like, dear God, do they make other fabric? Why we got to have anything on at all? I mean, anyway, so, but you have, and when the experience doesn't line up with the two, then in the middle you have frustrations and we all come with them. And some of them are unrealistic because we come with the expectation that this is going to make me happy. And we come with unrealistic expectations like this is going to fulfill me. They complete me. We say things that sound great. And we, and we, and we see filtered images and models on social media and in movies. And, and we think that somehow the emotion of that is going to translate. And we get in love with love. My 13-year-old is in love with love. She is like. All the chick flicks, all the rom-coms. I'm like, baby girl, this isn't real life. And it creates an expectation in your mind that no human could ever fulfill. And so we have frustration and fights and slowly, little by little, little bit of water under the foundation, little bit of water under the foundation. And all of a sudden mold is coming and our hearts are getting hardened. Because we are expecting, here's how we mitigate it, we got to stop expecting limited humans to do for us what only an unlimited God can do. You will never find someone in your life to fulfill you if you're not fulfilled in God first. 
You'll never find, there is no one that has the capacity to make you happy if you do not find joy and peace and contentment that is found in God alone first. There is no one that can meet the deepest needs of your heart if they have not yet first been met in God. I don't care, girl, I don't care how handsome he is, how built he is, how much he crossfits, and if he does, he'll tell you, because crossfitters tell everybody they crossfit. And (laughs) I don't care how many essential oils she has, because if they got oils, they'll let you know they oil everything. And so I don't know, I don't know about all that, but what I know is that if you're not finding it in an unlimited God, limited humans will never do it. They will always fail you because we are broken and we are sinful and we have his flesh and we have issues and we have challenges and we will always come short of these expectations. So I am, how am I gonna mitigate the mold in my life of unrealistic expectations? I'm gonna stop expecting from limited humans what can only come from an unlimited God. If you're with me, shout amen. Amen. This is a great church to preach to. Now, some of you go and you're like, I'm glad that's over. (laughs) Not this one. This is a great church. (laughs) And sometimes you're at home when you think that. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I love my people. Number two. Number two is lack of boundaries. Lack of boundaries is a, it's like a slow drip. I want to maybe give you a different perspective on boundaries. Galatians, or Genesis chapter 2, if you, you can see it on the screen if you have a Bible turned there. But I want to give you a context first because sometimes most of us think of boundaries. If you've heard of boundaries in relationships or if you've read any books on boundaries in relationships, a lot of the times what it is talking about is boundaries as far as how far people can come into your life and kind of into your heart space. And I think those are needed at times. I I don't think that you should be opening your life and your heart up to people that it is unsafe or there is abuse or are y'all tracking with me? But I'm a little, just me, I'm a little concerned. Your, Your pastor may come and reverse all this next week. I'm a little concerned that as Christians, we are spiritualizing and, and, and adopting a cancel culture with people and calling it boundaries because love is never on the defense. Love's always on the offense. Now, there are times, and I get that. I illustrate it this way. My, my kids, when they play in the snow or they play outside, we, we're on four acres and it's wooded. And I kind of a little bit of, I grew up in East Tennessee where the men are men or so are the women. So I like it a little country. <laughs> Some of y'all get that in the car. You'll be like, oh, ha-ha, that was good. You, you're slow on the uptake. It's okay. We're glad you're here. And so, so they'll go outside, but I make them take off. Sometimes I make them strip down in the garage because like I'm, I love you and you, can't, you can come in my house, but all that dirt on you can't. Take the boots off, take the pants off, and then you can come in my house. And that's what boundaries are when we're talking about it from that angle. It's you can come into my life, your behavior can't come with you. So if you're gonna be, if you're gonna be negative, if you're gonna downgrade, if you're gonna be abusive in your language, and then that behavior can't come I'm setting a boundary and sometimes those are needed. Are you following me? But more often than not, when the Bible's talking about boundaries, it's talking about boundaries we put on ourselves. Like a governor on an engine to not allow the car to go up to a certain speed. It's more about the boundaries we put on ourselves. In Genesis chapter two, we see the, I think the very first boundary that God put on man and woman. He said, 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. So you have, you have run of the garden. You have, I mean, all this stuff to enjoy. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And so God put a boundary or God put a, a governor on you. I mean, you have unlimited access except this one area. And I think that our hearts can go to hard-heartedness when we stop putting boundaries on ourselves, when we stop um, governing ourselves. Are y'all tracking with me? When, when, we, when we begin to think, how close can I get to the edge without falling off instead of how far can I stay away from the edge and what boundaries can I place in my relationships so that I don't get hard-heartedness towards my spouse, towards friends in a friend relationship, towards parents in a parent-child relationship, what are the boundaries? I want to give you three real quickly under this idea of boundaries. Number one, I think we need boundaries around our mouth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, Paul wrote, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I think if Paul was writing this today, he maybe would say, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths or your thumbs. Hmm, nervous laughter. <laughs> Ooh, he's getting in my world right now. There needs to be a boundary on our mind. Can I just say this to you? Just because you think it doesn't mean you say it. I need to give people a piece of my mind. No, keep all your mind. Keep it. I don't know about you, but I've got limited bandwidth up here. I need to keep all of it. Are you following me? Paul says, no, you need to put a boundary around this thing called the tongue. You need to put a boundary about around your mouth, like what you're saying, what you're speaking. If you have a negative mouth, you will have a negative life. If you have a bitter mouth, you're going to have a bitter life. If you have a mouth that tears down your spouse, don't, don't be surprised when your marriage is being torn down. You have to watch. Well, I, I just need to say what I'm thinking. I'm not being all things. No, no. I'm not talking about it's all roses and everything's wonderful. And I never address issues because sometimes building up means that I correct, means that I share things that may be hard. But I'm not going to do it in an unwholesome way. I'm not going to do it in a, a bitter way. I'm going to put a govern around my mouth. I'm going to have the spiritual maturity. I'm going to have the discipline in my life to go, no, I'm put a, I don't need to say that. Just because I thought it doesn't mean I need to say it. Just because it flashed across the LED of my mind doesn't mean it needs to come out of my mouth or mean it needs to be typed on my thumbs. I don't have to respond to every, can, I, can we go, I don't need to respond to every headline. I don't need to say everything. No, sometimes they need to govern my mouth, put a boundary around my mouth. Number two, I need to put a boundary around my mind. A boundary around my mind, Romans 12, 2. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I need to put a boundary around my mind. I said it this weekend, I'll say it to you. You don't have to think every thought you think. Think about that for a minute. You don't have to think every thought you think. Just because a thought flashes into your mind doesn't mean you need to think on it or meditate on it 
or ruminate on it or or let it just churn around in your mind. You, you, you have to have the discipline to go, no, I'm going to put a boundary around my mind. I'm going to let my mind be renewed. I'm going to be transformed because Christianity is not a faith of behavior modification. Well, if you just act this way, talk this way, wear this, wear your hair. No, it's not behavior modification. It is heart transformation. So I am changed from the inside out. And Paul says, here's how you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what do I renew my mind with? With the word of God. This is why you, it's so important to have daily time in his word. This is why it's encouraged to be in a Bible reading plan. Why? Because every day I'm allowing the word of God to renew my mind and to transform the way I think. And as it transforms the way I think, it'll transform the way I live. But if I'm letting Fox News and CNN and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and MySpace, if you're that old, and If I'm letting all this inputs into my mind all day and I'm letting that transform my mind, no wonder I outburst in anger and no wonder I cancel people and no wonder I cut people off and no wonder I group all types of, they are all like this. No, I'm gonna be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So I have the mind of Christ. So I think like Christ. So I act like Christ. I'm gonna put a boundary around my mind. You don't have to think every thought you think. You should capture your thoughts. As Paul said in Corinthians, I take every thought captive and bring it in subjection to the word of God. So is it true? Well, my mom and daddy said it. Is it true? That's what I read on the internet. Good chance it's not true. Is it, is it true? I should be capturing it going, is it true? And in my married life, You can create narratives about your spouse that have no footing in truth because you just let your mind run. You can can project thoughts about them. You can project motives onto them because you never captured your thought and go, is that true? Is that who I know they to be? Is that aligned with their character? Is that consistent with what I know about them? Someone put a boundary around my mind, and I'm going to put a boundary around my actions. Put a boundary around my actions. This is one of the earliest verses I remember my parents and having me memorize. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Somebody shout whatever. Whatever you do. I spent a lot of time pulling on the Greek word on that, and it means whatever. It means whatever you do. What am I going to do? I'm going to do it all to the glory of God. I think it would help govern our actions if we just thought that. Does this glorify God? Does this action glorify God? All things are permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial for me. You've got to grow beyond is this sin or not sin? That's preschool. Is this okay, y'all? Hey, your pastor will be back. I'll go back to Virginia. No, you got to get beyond is this sin or not sin? Is this beneficial? Is it healthy? Is it wise? Is it going to benefit my relationships? Is it going to take my marriage to another level or is it going to hurt my marriage? Well, she's just trying to control me. I don't know. But is it beneficial? Is it healthy? Am I trying to see how far I can get to the edge without falling off? Or am I seeing how far can I stay away from the edge? 
Is it, is it beneficial to follow an ex-girlfriend on social media and you're married now? Probably not. Probably should block, unfollow. I just want to keep up with what they're doing. Why? You got a wife. Keep up with what she's doing. Is this too much? Y'all, are y'all tracking? Do I need to be sliding into the DMs and hearting the pictures? Your kids are so grown. Let her care about her kids. You care about your kids and your wife and your house and your people. Are y'all following me? I'm not trying to see how close I am. I'm, I'm, does my action glorify God? Do I, is this glorifying God? Why in the, I don't, I'll just, I'll go home. But I, I don't know why in the world, ladies, you would ever have a guy that is a best friend that is not your husband. We've been friends forever. Cool. It's great. You redefined every relationship in your life the moment that you walked down that aisle and it said, I do. It redefined every relationship in your life. Does my action glorify God? I'm just putting a boundary around my actions. Just some things I won't do. That's just old school. Sounds legalistic. No, it sounds like marriages that go 52 years. No, it sounds like marriages that stay the distance and keep a soft heart and not hard-hearted. It sounds like marriages that are a great model for the generation coming behind them. Doesn't sound old school. Doesn't sound leave it to beaver to me. Doesn't sound Andy Griff. Come on. All right. Told you I grew up in the country. It sounds like, no, I'm going to make it the distance. I'm going to keep a soft heart. Not going to be hard-hearted. So how do, how do I mitigate this? How do I mitigate boundaries in my life? Because... That sounds challenging. Well, daily I'm going to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me today. You know it's not God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. It's God the Father, God the Son. The person of the Holy Spirit is available to you to empower you with a power that is other than you. Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. People are weird. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you better than somebody else. The Holy Spirit makes you better than you. And that's what you need. You need a power that is better than you. That can give you the strength to govern your tongue. To govern your thoughts and to govern, put a boundary around your actions. Number three, we'll wrap up with this one. Number three, that's a silent killer. Slow fade to hard-heartedness is secrets. It's secrets. Your relationship is only as sick as its secrets. The Bible says, going back to the garden in Genesis chapter 2, 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Now that, that verse isn't a fashion statement about what they were not wearing. It's, it's showing us there was a level of vulnerability to them and openness and being known and there was no shame associated with it. They were fully known by each other. And some of us, we carry secrets in our life and in our marriage even. And I'm not talking about, maybe these are, but I'm not specifically talking about, well, honey, I need to tell you something. When I was 21, uh, I did that. I'm, I'm talking about the little secrets that are a slow fade, like, like how how you begin to think about them. And you're carrying this secret of little bit of resentment. And a little bit of resentment turns into a little bit of bitterness. 
And now a little bit of bitterness begins to create a lens through which you look at them and so they can never win. Everything they do is through the lens of bitterness. Everything they do is through the lens. Everything you're looking for an ulterior motive and you're suspicious of them and it's eroding trust in your relationship with them. And it starts out with just a little secret, a little thing, a a little seed of something in your heart and that grows into hard-heartedness because you're carrying secrets. And the reality is this, is that you cannot be fully theirs if you have secrets because you are only bringing part of you to the relationship because the part that is secret you are keeping from them. And this is why you have to have, how do I mitigate this? I've mitigated it with vulnerability. And I know as a guy, it's probably we're like, the vulnerability. It's another way to think about it, it's just honesty. Well, I don't know that I would know how to be that honest or to say that or share that. Well, that's why it's so important you get in Christian community. That's why these small groups that your pastor is sharing with you that They've taken time to develop and build up. Why? Because they're for you and for your marriage and they're for your relationships thriving of getting into a a blended family small group. What an incredible thing to have access to and how do I do that well and how to get into a marriage small group and a recently married small group. Why? Why? Because it's in the context of community that I can take the mask off and go, this is the real me. And this is what I'm really going through. And when you remove the secrets, then the secret loses its power over you and you find real freedom. James 5.16 says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. 1 John 1.9 says, confess your sins to God that you might be forgiven. So forgiveness comes from God, but healing comes in community. So I'll never find the healing that I really need until I get in the context of community and I take the mask off and goes, this is what we're really wrestling with. And some of you are thinking, but these people look like they have it all together and they come in, they got their kids and they're all cute and they come to church and they got their coffee and they're doing their thing. And if I were to really open up my heart, like the next small group, they would turn the lights off like someone was trick-or-treating at their house and they would like turn the lights off and hide in the living room. (laughs) Y'all know who you are. And they wouldn't let me back in, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen to me, look me in the eye, I'm telling you that if you would put yourself in Christian community and you take the mask off and open up the secrets of your life and you would go, there's water coming in and I don't want mold that ends, I don't want to end up having to jackhammer the foundation and destroy the house and throw it all away because I didn't deal with something. Here's what you would find in that community. You would find someone that would go, yeah, I've been there too. Yeah, I've walked that journey too. Yeah, matter of fact, we went through that together too. Matter of fact, after the first service, someone stopped me and go, you told our life story. And now we're helping other people. Maybe even some people in the small group that you share your story and they go, that's it, that's all you got, really? (laughs) But it's in the Christian community that I take the mask off. And I find a place of vulnerability and some of you, you're living You're living a facade. And your secrets are gonna make your relationship sick. And your secrets are like a slow drip. And it may not show up this week, and it may not show up other time, and you may think I'm learning to function in my dysfunction, it's gonna be okay. But mark my words, eventually the mold will show up. 
and you let enough mold climb up in the walls and you start breathing that in, eventually it'll destroy you. And there's ways to mitigate it. You're going to mitigate it by not looking to a limited human to do for you what only unlimited God can do. And you're going to mitigate it by depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to govern your life, your mouth, your thoughts, your actions. You're going to mitigate it by vulnerability. Some of you, the most spiritual decision you can make today is to walk through these doors and sign up for a small group today. Because it's not going to be a message. It's going to be a relationship over time and community that helps set you free. Because it's not an overnight thing for a hard heart. It's a slow trip. But by the grace of God, a hard heart can be made soft. And God can do a transformational work in your life. Do you receive the word today? Can you put your hands together if you do? Is that helpful? I'm going to ask you to pray with me. If you would, bow your head, close your eyes at every, all across the room, even online. I want you to wrestle with this question. Number one, what is God saying to you? Spirit of God has a way of taking a message and pinpoint it right into your situation. What's God saying to you? Number two, what are you going to do about it? Don't just go through these things, grow through it. But growth requires a step, so what are you going to do with what God has said to you? Now for some of you today, all this thought about a hard heart and ways to mitigate it is great but I I hate to tell you that if you don't put one relationship in its proper place I don't know how helpful today was for you and that is your relationship with Jesus I'm not asking you if you have a church membership or if you come from a family of Christians You may even, if someone said, are you a Christian? You'd say, yeah. But if I were to say, are you far from God? You would say, yeah, I am. I'm not asking you if you have a label. I'm asking you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Have you encountered him where your life has been changed, your heart transformed? The Bible says that we've all sinned and that's not meant to condemn you. It's the reality of all of humanity We're not mistakers that make mistakes because mistakes are accidents. Some of us plan our sins. We're sinners that sin. It's born into our DNA. If you don't believe we're born with it, you've never had a toddler. No one has to teach us to sin. And that's a problem that we can't solve. And it creates so much havoc and pain and strain in our lives. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life and you might have it to a full, abundant life. It's the whole reason he came. He came to solve the sin problem that you could never solve on your own. And there's not enough effort or good works on your part that can do it. It's simply placing your faith in him. And the reality is, even if you're here today and say, I'm not sure about God and church and the Bible, you're trusting something today. You're trusting yourself, you're trusting your good works, you're trusting your best effort. 
I'm just encouraging you to transfer your faith to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And the Bible tells us how we take that step of faith. It says we confess him as Lord. In other words, we say, God, I'm done trying it my way. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to submit to you. And then we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the resurrection. He said, you will be saved. And so in just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you can pray from your heart to God's heart. But I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, if you believe it and you declare it by faith, that today will be a day of brand new beginnings for you. The Bible says if anybody's in Christ, they're a brand new creation. Everything passes away. Everything becomes new. And so I want to invite you, if that's you, if God is speaking to you, you'd say, Pastor, I need that fresh start. I need a new beginning today. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I want to know that heaven's my home. Then you just pray this right where you're seated. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. Today I make you my Lord and Savior. Thank you for a brand new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Journey Church, it's been an honor to be with you. Thanks so much for having us. We love you. We're cheering you on, your family from Virginia. God bless you.